0: So what I want to talk about today, we're continuing this series, The Culture of Discipleship, wanting to lay out for us as a church what we mean by discipleship, actually more importantly what the Scripture means by discipleship, but also how this is really the, 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 the vision for our church, that we've never desired, when, when we moved here, my family moved here in 2004, Our desire was never to just gather Christians together for music and for Bible study. We wanted that to happen, but the goal was not that. The goal was to develop a culture of discipleship, to see a group of people who wanted to follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. That's what we wanted to do. And we think God's doing that. We see God's moving in that way. He's growing us in that way. And so this... Reality, this desire to see a culture of discipleship developed is something that we want to make sure you understand permeates everything we do. Every decision we make as leaders, all all the, the the, the money that you guys generously give that we allocate for different things, all that, all those decisions are made based on, is this helping us be disciples who make disciples? But also, it's important for us to understand, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? What is discipleship? We saw last week that really it's about following a person, not a program. It's not about, okay, here's this program, here's that program, but here's this person that we want to fall after. But also, we want to understand, when we see Jesus giving us this, what we call the Great Commission, He's calling us to make disciples. And so there's a uh, a clear command here that Jesus gave to His 12 disciples That they would have understood when he says make disciples they knew what a disciple was do you know why they knew that because they were disciples because they had been discipled themselves by jesus now it's important for us to recognize that discipleship isn't a goal itself our goal is not just discipleship it's a process by which jesus is making or the spirit of god is making every believer like jesus this is what the scripture says, okay? Romans eight twenty nine. This is our destiny as Jesus followers, as believers in Christ. It says, for who those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, your destiny, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've realized you need him, his death, his resurrection, his life, you need him. Your destiny is to be made like Him. So that God doesn't just say, I want to forgive your sins and I'll see you later maybe sometime. God, when He forgives our sins, when we put our faith in Him, He begins a a process that He promises to finish. Some of you might have heard that process called sanctification. A big word that just means means to be set apart as holy. But it's also really just what discipleship is. Discipleship is... God using the resources that He's ordained to help His people become like Jesus so they can enjoy Jesus forever. So that we can actually have an eternal existence with God that's going to be, well, it's going to be the world that we all want. That's what He's calling us to. Now in this, in this Great Commission, we we see really what I would say are four aspects of discipleship. And this is not about tools or... um, boxes that we tick this is these are more like art supplies because really what God's doing is he's making us into works of art listen to this Ephesians 2 chapter 10 says um, sorry chapter 2 verse 10 says this for we are God's masterpiece he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago Did you get that we are created past tense in christ jesus when we put our faith in jesus we are made into this we're put into this position we are granted this relationship with god through jesus but we're put in that place so that we can do good works guess what those good works are discipling one another so here's the amazing thing our our great god and savior jesus he's changing us to make us like jesus and he's doing that through one another it's, it's not just like we're lumps of clay that have no, uh, you know, no participation in the event. We are lumps of clay. And he puts us on his wheel, and he's the potter, and he forms us. But you know what else? Listen, he uses one another. He uses each other to form us. Sometimes someone squeezes a certain way, and that's making us like Jesus. Sometimes somebody is a paintbrush that he uses to decorate the, the jar of clay. Sometimes we go, he the the, the relationships that we have are the trials that we experience that actually make the clay solid and firm. He's this artist. God is this great artist, and he's making us, we are his workmanship, we are his work of art, and he's doing something in us this way through one another. That's what discipleship is. There's an art to it. And so we want to look at those four aspects of discipleship. Okay? So we start in verse 16. And we, we, the first thing is this, we want to recognize that discipleship is relational. It says in verse 16 that then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Now, it says 11, but we know Jesus chose 12, don't we? Jesus to- chose 12 men for a specific, continuous relationship. The Bible says that He chose them that they might be sent out, but also that they might be with Him. And so, what this is talking about, when it says the, the mountain that they appointed, Jesus had said to them that he was going to go away. He had said to them that he was going to die. They were really confused by this. They didn't see how that could happen. Uh, he had said that he would, three days later, rise from the dead. They still didn't get that to happen. And even after he rose from the dead, he sent messengers to them to say, look, I meet, want you to meet me in Galilee at the place that I've appointed. Meet me there. You're going to have more time with me as your risen Lord and Savior. And he's doing this to show that his death doesn't end the relationship. His resurrection and ascension into heaven doesn't even end the relationship. It's a continuing relationship. This is why we have assurance that we, this side, 2,000 years later, can have a relationship with Jesus because he's the risen Jesus. He's the Jesus that's real. Now, he, he invested, it's interesting, Jesus invested most of his ministry in just these 12 guys. I want you to think about that. Jesus was, lived for 30 years before he started any kind of ministry. He was just living at his father's and, with his father and mother, probably learning the, his father's business of carpentry. He, he just kind of lived a normal life, a perfect life, but a normal life. And then when, when it's time for him to come forth and do his ministry, he does his ministry, he receives the Holy Spirit, and yes, he preaches to multitudes, but the most of his time, the bulk of his time is spent investing relationally in these 12 guys. In fact, of the 12 guys, there's three guys he invested in even more. This is important because it shows us when Jesus gives the command, make disciples, we're obviously wanting to do what he did. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus think he would have a relationship with every single person uh, that that he would minister to, a personal one-to-one? No. He knew that he would send his disciples to have those one-to-one relationships and that they would in turn disciple other people. They would teach those people. To follow him and so the thing is he had to choose a group of men that he was going to invest in to make sure that they grew as followers of him now this is what we are called to do we're called to to, to practice that we're called to have relationships this way now you might say okay what happened to the 12th well you probably know that was judas and the truth is judas chose his own sad end he chose to abandon his relationship with jesus when he failed Jesus miserably, when he betrayed Jesus, instead of going back and repenting, he went and he hung himself. Sad, but true. The reason I, I add that bit in there is because I think it's important that we recognize that a relationship has to go both ways. When we say that discipleship is relational, we mean that we need to invest in people the way Jesus invested in people, but we also need to recognize we, those people have to want to be invested in. You have to want to be invested in. Sometimes the language we use here at Servants is we really encourage you to get involved in a a small group so you can know and be known. You can know people well, and they can know you well. Now, even in saying that, it probably scares some of you guys in a big way. I don't want to be known. I don't want anybody to see my junk. I don't want anybody to know my stuff. I want to take care of my own problems. But to be a Jesus follower, to be a disciple... You need to have real relationships. Interesting, too, it says that when they go to this place to meet Jesus, they saw him. What happens? They worshiped him, but some doubted. This is interesting. It's interesting because Jesus is calling us to have discipling relationships with people that are both worshipers and doubters. <laughs> This is what we are today. We're here as worshipers and doubters. Some of you guys here are really assured and you're just in, in a good season. You're enjoying the Lord. You're worshiping the Lord. You're growing in the Lord. Some of you are going, I don't know about this. I, I think I believe, but I'm not sure if I believe. You're still doubting. Guess what? The best place for doubters to be is with worshipers. <laughs> this is how we disciple each other. And it's also important because Jesus is giving the command to make disciples to both the worshipers and the doubters. One of the ways we grow and our faith is to get involved in the process of discipleship. Now, this, this boils down to what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Famous verses, you guys know these verses, right? Jesus says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Interesting, the, interesting, the most interesting part about this is he says it's a new command. Because the Old Testament scriptures were full of commands to love your neighbor. So why is it a new command to to love one another? Because he quantifies it, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, as far as Jesus is concerned, following him means approaching relationships like he did. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. That's what we mean when we say discipleship is relational. Now if you look at verse 18, Jesus makes this other statement that's really Again, so familiar, it can lose some of its power, but it's important we recognize it. Jesus came and he spoke to them. Here's what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is saying, I have ultimate, complete authority. Now, this is important. He's basically telling the disciples, I want you to go out and make disciples. And they're thinking, okay, how can we do what you did? And Jesus is saying, because I have all authority. How can we actually see people's lives transformed? He says, because I have all authority. I'm sending you out. Interesting. If you look at the last part of, uh, or the middle part of verse 20, or last part of verse 20, Jesus makes this promise. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Interesting, when it says I am, there's a word for I that is just a simple word, I, me. And there's another word for I. It's the Greek word ego, or we might say ego. And it's emphatic. It's only used like when someone would say, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's what's used here. Jesus is saying to these disciples, and this is really just right before he ascends into heaven and they don't see him anymore. He says, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. How can that be? Well, this is how it can be. Listen. In uh, John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, after he's told them that he's going away, he told them about his crucifixion, Jesus said this, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's another of the same kind of helper. That he may abide with you forever. Here's the helper, the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice what he says. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What's Jesus promising? When he says all authority I have, you don't have to worry. When he says I'm going to be with you always. He's connecting back to what he had said to them just hours before about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send my spirit. Romans 8 calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. He says, I'm going to send my Spirit, and he will dwell in you always. Now, this is important because the second aspect of discipleship, and this is really important, is that discipleship is transformational. It changes people. When people become disciples, there's something supernatural happening. This is why when Jesus started his preaching ministry, listen, the first word out of his mouth was, Repent. Jesus began the preach, it says in Matthew 4:17. Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we hear that word today. We hear the word repent, and we just think angry street preacher. Some guy who's just really nuts saying, repent, and the goal is, feel really bad. But actually, you know what the word repent is? It means to change. It means turn around. It's a hopeful word. It's saying, turn back to God. It means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's a hopeful word. Jesus can command repentance. He can say, you have to turn from sin. You know why? Because He can make you able to turn from sin. Because He has the power to change you, to transform you. He does that through this process by His Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now, this is also important because we think, okay, I need that I think I'm a Christian, though I have the Holy Spirit. So how does this work? Well, this is where prayer comes in. Jesus gave us this advice or this command, I should say, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says this. He says, "If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? Those who ask. We ask. We say, we say, Father, I need your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to change my heart. I need your Holy Spirit to give me strength." to live the way you want me to live. This is really important because Jesus is telling, when he's saying go and make disciples, he wants to make sure that we are communicating to people and understanding ourselves that following Jesus means expecting and experiencing real change. Real change. Now, I'll be honest. I've been a Christian for 30 years and... I really thought by this time I would be more spiritually mature. I I mean, I I thought I'd love God more. I'd love people more. I thought I'd be more patient. I thought I'd be more wise. I thought my hair would grow back. I actually didn't think that. (laughs) That last part's not true. But I did think things would be different. I thought I'd be more mature than I am now. And so sometimes I grieve and think, Lord, I want more change. Do you know what gives me hope? How much he has actually already changed me. It's kind of like you don't sometimes notice how quickly your children are growing when they're younger or but then like you see a, a nephew or a niece or a cousin you know five years later and we're always shocked you've grown as if it's some unnatural thing what happened it's the most natural thing for children to grow into adults isn't it growth is something that God's spirit brings in us he wants to bring this kind of change it's not just getting bigger, it's getting better. He actually changes us. And it's not just a better you, it's a brand new you. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He changes you. So we expect or we, we see an important aspect of discipleship is transformational, that God's actually doing something. So we, as we follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus, we expect people to change and we experience that change over time. Now then, and in, in, in he says this real kind of little phrase in verse 20, first part of verse 20. He says, right, and also what we need to do, teaching them. He says, be teaching them. Now this is usually what we think about when we think about discipleship, don't we? When we think about discipleship as when I learn more stuff about Jesus. That's true. It's only part, but it's true. Discipleship is not just relational and transformational, it's also informational, you got to know the right stuff about this God that you're going to follow. When we don't know the right stuff about God, do you know what happens? We follow the wrong God. <laughs> or we follow the right God in the wrong way. we got to understand what He said, what He desires, who He is, and we got to get that from Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus, when He taught, He taught with a unique authority. It blew people's minds. The Scripture says this, In Matthew chapter 7, about Jesus' teaching, it says, When Jesus had finished these sayings... This is after the Sermon on the Mount. When He had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at His teaching, for He taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Now, this is important. Because what can often happen when it comes to us as human beings teaching, even me as a Bible teacher, there are things that I read in Scripture that, as I've been teaching the Bible now for 26 years... I think, man, this is really clear, really obvious. But there's other things as I've taught through the Bible for 26 years, I'm going, I'm not sure what this means. But here's the good news, Jesus knows exactly what it means. (laughs) He he spoke truth. He didn't say, here's a concept, here's an idea. He said, here's revelation from God. He could say, this is true. This is why when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you, 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 you hear him saying things like, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard the opinions of others, but here's the truth. Jesus claimed to teach with that kind of authority. And it's because he taught with that kind of authority that we not only trust the words in red, but we trust the implications of those words, which means we trust the rest of the scriptures. We trust that God has spoken, and this is important. This is why we spend so much time going through the Bible. We want to make sure that we're understanding what God is like. Interesting, too, that Jesus always kept teaching as the priority. I don't know if you know this or not, but when, when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus' actions described, right? You see there's verbs used. Jesus did this, Jesus did that. To describe what his actions are. He was loved by the common people. He was not afraid to challenge the religious elite of his day. And, but when we read those actions, we see that the, the action is described as teaching two times as much as it is preaching, and healing together. If you do a search and look at all the times that the Bible mentions, the Gospels mention Jesus healing or Jesus preaching, you'll then go and look at how many times it talks about him teaching. You know what you'll find? Twice as much in his actions described as teaching. It was his priority. In fact, I want you to think about this. Listen to this. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 27. This is what it says, 25 to 27. It says then, this is the resurrected Jesus this is after Jesus has, has been raised from the dead, right? Then he said to these disciples he meets on the road to Emmaus. He says, "Oh, foolish ones, because they didn't recognize who he was, and slow to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory?" And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Now I want you to think about how profound this is. The resurrected Christ who could walk through walls. I mean, Jesus could do miracles before he, was, he, he died and resurrected. But here, the glorified Christ, he can walk through walls, right? He can do whatever he wants. What does he do? I want these guys to know who I am, so I'm going to have a Bible study. Is that not profound? Now, this is really important because I think what can happen is we can, in a church like ours, where, where we emphasize Scripture a lot, we can forget, this is not about, oh, we want you know, we want good sermon ministry or good pulpit ministry. That's not what this is about. This is about us being hungry to hear from God. God, I want to understand what you're like. I want to hear from you. I want to know your word in truth. I want to let your word correct my thinking and my behavior. Why? Because discipleship is informational. We have to have the right Information, following Jesus, it really means that we're developing a hunger for his word. Now, here's the last bit. In verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives these commands. He says, listen, go into all the nation, make disciples. Here's the first thing up, baptizing them. Baptizing them. Now, one of the things that's amazing about the gospel accounts, at least uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is we see... The baptism of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus himself is baptized. Now what's amazing about this is that baptism was something that the Jews did for Gentile converts, okay? So the nation of Israel, when someone who wasn't Jewish wanted to follow the God of Israel, they would have this baptismal ceremony. It was a, it was a picture of you're dying to your old identity and you're being resurrected to a new identity, Okay? So then when John the baptizer comes on the scene, sort of the, what we call the forerunner of Jesus, kind of preparing people that the Messiah, Jesus, was going to come, God's chosen king was going to come, he baptizes Israelites. He baptizes people that are already Jewish. And he's doing what's called a baptism of repentance. He's calling them to turn back to the God they say they believe in. And so they're saying, okay, my old life has been a life lived for self. My new life has to be lived for this life of of the God who's made covenant with me, right? So when John's baptizing, what happens? Jesus comes on the scene, doesn't he? And he goes to John to have John baptize him. What does John do? No, whoa, you should be baptizing me. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He recognized Jesus as the, the perfect man. And he thought, you have nothing to repent of. But Jesus says, let me do this so that all righteousness may be fulfilled. I want to do every good thing, every right thing. And of course then what happened is Jesus' followers took on this command. Jesus makes this command. I want you to continue to baptize. But the baptism is no longer a baptism of repentance, but it's about a new identity. You've died to your old self and you've been raised now to a new self, an identity that you have in Christ. You died with Christ, you're resurrected with Christ. That's what baptism means now. Now this is on the command to make disciples. This is why. Because listen, baptism is the first act of obedience for a believer. Now you might be thinking, wait a second John, I'm a believer and I've never been baptized. Well, probably because you didn't understand how important it was that you be baptized out of obedience. This is the first act of, of obedience. That we, we want to publicly identify Maybe say it this way. We want to intentionally identify with Jesus, with his death, and with his resurrection. That's what baptism is. We want to recognize that we want to publicly state we have died with him, we've resurrected with him, we're going to live with him forever. That's why I'm baptized. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've never been baptized, uh, I want to, to exhort you strongly to be obedient to the God you trust, to be obedient to the Jesus you claim to follow and be baptized. We're going to have a baptism soon. I have at least one person who's come to me and said they want to get baptized, so we'll have a baptism soon. If you've not been baptized and you believe in Jesus, come and talk to us. The point is about being intentional, about identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. But notice also what he says in verse 20. He says "We're to teach them, and not just to say here's the information, but teach them, notice, to observe. That means to guard or keep to observe all things that I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus is saying, everything I commanded you is my 12 guys that I chose for the specific continuous relationship. I want all believers to know those apply to them. All commands apply to all believers. This is important. Because to be a disciple of Jesus means we actually have to do what he says. We have to be intentional about doing what he says. Do you know what Jesus' half-brother James said about hearing the word and not doing it? Do you know what he said? He said to hear the word and to not do the word is self-deception. We're called to obedience. Now remember, all these four aspects are about God's spirit changing us into the image of God's son. That it's us becoming like Jesus so we can enjoy Jesus forever. This is what Jesus calls all people to. He doesn't just call people to believe. Not just a simple, I believe these facts, I'm done. That's not what we see in Scripture. It's, I trust this person and I'm going to follow him. That's what we see is biblical Christianity. That's real Christianity. That's real discipleship. That's what he calls us all to. Now, I've gone over these things kind of quickly for, for this reason. We're going to take a week on each one of these points. We're going to take a week and talk about how discipleship is relational and explain that in a deeper way, apply it in a deeper way, and help you hopefully connect, oh, that's why we do what we do here at Servants. We're going to take a week to talk about discipleship is transformational. We're going to talk about the power of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to talk about why our conviction is that God's Spirit is still actively moving the same way He said He was doing in the the New Testament. And why we pursue the work of the Spirit the way we pursue the work of the Spirit. We're going to take a whole week on that. We're going to take a whole week on discipleship being informational. Why do we teach verse by verse? How is that connected to this? Is, Is really the Scripture that important? And we're going to talk about a week of why discipleship is intentional. Why is it if, if Jesus calls us to obey, this is, how does that connect to the fact that we call you guys to be participating in certain things? How does that fit with your obedience to Jesus? And our goal is, is that you would grow in this art of discipleship. Now, what did we say at the beginning? This is not about ticking boxes. This is not about you going, okay. I have some good relationships with Christians. I'm pretty sure I've been born again. Um, I I, I like hearing Bible studies. And I chose to come here today. That's not discipleship. This is God taking these, you might say, primary colors of His artwork and blending them away by His Holy Spirit that's going to be unique to us as a church, a servant's church, but also... It's going to be unique to your life. It's all going to be about us becoming like Jesus. But it's not about us being uniformed. It's about us being united to become like Jesus. Let me say something else. As I was going through these four things, did did some of you maybe find that some resonated more with you than others? Like, oh, yeah, I, I really dig that transformation part. Information, it's kind of boring. I'm not too sure. Oh, I like the intentional part. Yeah, we need to really be planners and doers. But you know that whole relational thing? I don't know. It's awkward to get close to people. Did did you have any experience? I wonder if you felt that. All of us feel this. And you you notice it's not just individuals too. Maybe as you were thinking about this, because you think about churches that emphasize one of these things more than the others. It's very easy, isn't it? And I'm not here to say servants church has the perfect balance. I'm not saying that at all. but I'm saying is we are trying to be intentional ourselves about helping you be disciples who so can make disciples. We w- I need you to help me follow Jesus. You need me to help you follow Jesus. We need each other to follow, help follow Jesus. And, and if, we're, if we're wanting to recognize what that looks like, these are the aspects, these are the primary colors, you might say, that we expect Jesus to use to make us like himself. As we talk about these things, too, I want to be really, really clear. This is not about us trying to say why we're a better church. That is not my heart. But it is about why we do church the way we do. You might come through the end of this series and kind of go, well, yeah, I I think that makes sense. I just think I like the way this church does it better than the way you guys do it. I like the the way they use the colors. That's cool. That might be the church that you need to go to. But my hope is that whoever decides to stay <laughs> says, yes, this is it. I want to be a Jesus follower. And I want to help other people follow Jesus. Now some of you might be here today and you're going, you know, I'm still just learning about this Jesus stuff. I, I'm not sure if I want to follow him yet. We want to know we're really glad you're here because everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody has to start somewhere. And we hope that the information you're getting, that that we're trusting the Holy Spirit's using that to begin to change your mind, to transform your thinking, to show you, man, I really do need this Jesus, and I really can trust this Jesus, and I want to learn how to walk this Jesus. We hope that as you come here, that the relationships you have aren't just relationships that you could have anywhere else in the world, but you know there's something special about the way we are committed to each other to help each other follow Jesus. That's our goal. That's our desire.